Welcome to Healthcare Experience Matters. This podcast is brought to you by the Healthcare Experience Foundation and is dedicated to transforming the healthcare experience so that every person can receive and deliver the best care. We invite you to learn more by visiting healthcareexperience.org. I have a really great discussion for our listeners today. Very important. We're talking about the patient experience in a multilingual setting. Joining me today is Ninfa Segera. She's the SVP of Communications and External Affairs, Community and Government Affairs, and the Chief Diversity Officer with SBH Health System. I also have with me Maureen Eisner. She is the Vice President of Patient Experience and Bioethics with SBH Health System which is a major safety net hospital in the Bronx, a borough of New York City, and it serves a very wonderful and needy community, as I have heard it described. So I want to jump into this discussion. First, let's talk a little bit about the size and scope and the multicultural outreach of this hospital. Whoever wants to start that, I will just mute myself and listen. Well, let's describe the Bronx. Um, It'd be helpful to the audience to have a sense of both the challenges we have and and the resources. Um, The Bronx is, as you mentioned, one of the counties in New York City. It is actually one of the poorest and uh, challenged places in the United States. Um, In our state, when there is a ranking of how how healthy the communities are. There are 62 counties in the state and the Bronx is 62, so it's on the bottom. It's not a new experience for the Bronx. Um, it is. It has a history of being dis, of disinvestment and of not fulfilling the needs of the community. A blessing that came out of COVID is that suddenly the world understood what we've known for years which are the challenges that such communities face because of health disparities and how difficult it is to ensure their equity. So we're in the heart of the Bronx, right physically right in the middle. So I call us the heart. This community in particular is primarily Latinx. Our population in the county is 56% Latino, and that's reflected in our patients. Um, Then there are the Black community and others. A significant part of our population speaks both English and Spanish, at least 60%. And we have 26% of our patients and also of the county, Spanish is their primary language. Um, And through uh, my immigration, who those people are has changed over the years. Um, It was primarily a Puerto Rican community. Now it's more of a Dominican community and a small Mexican community. It's an institution whose members, uh, workers know the community because at least 82, uh, a significant part of our population actually live in the Bronx. So they are serving their neighbors. Um, So we have tremendous health challenges. And that gets further complicated uh, when you have to make sure that you're serving them in their own language and with cultural sensitivity. I just want to jump in real quick for listeners and let everyone know that that was Nympha Sagara who just answered that question. And now I'm going to have 
Maureen Eisner field the question as well, just to make sure people know who, who was speaking. Well, I, I appreciate that. I think NIMFA pretty much covered covered it all, but we really do have one of the poorest and the sickest communities, um, and we really do strive to provide the best services for them that are possible, uh, you know, including good communication, good patient experience, and good quality care, of course. Now, I'm going to pose this question to both of you. Maureen, as Vice President of Patient Experience and Bioethics, you may want to take it first, but I just want to know how much, in your opinion, clear communication impacts the patient experience. Yes, well, obviously that's a very, very important part of patient experience, and there has been growing recognition that low literacy and language barriers, cultural diversity, um, all have to be considered to ensure effective health communication. Culturally diverse individuals, both with limited literacy as well as limited English proficiency, are really among the most vulnerable of uh, patients in the system. Uh, language barriers are associated with unequal access to health care and really, unfortunately, unequal and less than optimum patient outcomes as well. Uh, in addition, in speaking about the patient experience, most patient complaints and serious health events are actually based on some sort of poor miscommunication. Um, patients really need clear communication to be able to make decisions about their health and treatment. And if they don't understand what the risks and benefits or what the treatment or procedure is, they really can't make proper choices. Um, also, sometimes, and I'm sure Nifu would agree, that we assume that because a patient can speak English, that an interpreter, a medical interpreter, is not needed. Um, but just because they could speak the language doesn't mean that they really could understand complex health information. So it's important um, when a patient comes to the hospital to ask what the patient's preferred language is and communicate in that language it's also important not to use, when possible, family members as interpreters, um, as that also impacts as um, the, the family members may be filtering the message or not giving all the information or even understanding the information. So we really want to make sure that clear communication is there so we could give the best possible care um, and the safest care as well. Yeah, and I, one thing that I want to emphasize is Providing services in the language preferred or the language of choice is a legal requirement. Um, so it, it is required of all institutions to, we have to translate our materials in primary languages. We have to provide interpreters and we have to ensure that the deaf and hearing impaired also receive services in their language, which is usually American Sign Language, but there are some rare cases where the person only lip reads, and we have to bring in an interpreter to do that. Um, so it is a legal requirement. It is enhanced at our institution by the work that Maureen has done with um, an agency that she's worked with that perhaps she can talk about a little bit. Um, so it's coupling those two things the respect for the patient by giving them, providing, ensuring their legal right and complementing that with the training that Maureen has been doing. 
Yes, we really want to make sure um, that we give person-centered and patient-centered empathetic communication. Um, So not only is the communication clear, but that patients, as well as colleagues, should be treated with the empathy and respect that we all need. And we feel that's all part of the package. Wow. Very, very good stuff. I appreciate all of that. And I know our listeners do as well. Research has demonstrated that 26% of your patients speak a non-English language at home. So I want to know about raising awareness among hospital personnel to support these diverse communication needs. Well, I'm I'm very proud that in our institution, um, this is not a recent service or recent insurance of a, of a legal right. Uh, it goes back in the hospital probably 20 years. Um, the program was developed by a prior uh, lady who I honor a lot, Lynette Alvarado, um, and she was a specialist in this area. So the way you ensure it is through multiple platforms. Um, we do direct training on language access. We have uh, requirements annually for training and in there is included um, the language access requirements. Um, We do in-service for anyone that needs it because what we use is voice equipment, which is video on demand, and we train everyone on that. Um, and and, And also part of it is hiring diverse staff. Diversity in your staff, in particular in a city like New York, is really a requirement. You couple that with training of everyone. And then a clear message from the leadership of the hospital that this is something that we feel is a requirement, as Maureen said, to better communicate with our patients so there's better outcomes. So it's instilled in everyone that works in the organization how important this is. Um, and we and at my role as chief diversity officer is always to be looking to make sure that that is done. Um, and in particular, that that our documents are in primary language. Uh, again, it's more than the interpreter is the ongoing communication with the patient. And I would just like to add, um, in addition, obviously, to educating our staff and having bilingual staff and qualified medical interpreters, we also educate the patients as well as what their rights are. And Nympha had mentioned, uh, touched on that a little bit before. Um, Patients have a right to medical interpreters, um, and and they should be very clear and understand their rights, um, that they are um, available to them at any time. Again, keeping the conversation focused on your institution, I'm curious to what the most common language needs are and if the frequency of specific languages change in usage and how that impacts what might be perceived as these challenges. When uh, we, we, we keep records of uh, the interpreters through our, the two contractors we use, one being voice, which is the video on demand and, and phones. And also we have an outside firm that when we need a live interpreter for sign language, they come in. Um, again, this is a Latino community um, of the language needs. 96% of them are for Spanish. But we have, and and after that is American Sign Language. 
But because we are in New York City and immigration is an ongoing experience for us, it's in the minor languages. For example, right now we have a community from Ghana and they speak a language that's very rare. So we, and it's not something that you're on notice about that they've moved into the community. So we found out by way of needing an interpreter for that language for a patient. And our company had a hard time finding one. So we had to figure out with the company that if you don't have one on demand, let's see how we can work with community organizations that know that community to see if we could find someone um, that can be trained as a medical qualified interpreter. Uh, so that's the big challenge is these um, smaller number of patients that show up you have the requirement is 10 20 10 minutes in the er 20 minutes in ambulatory and how to meet that demand on an ongoing basis the other is um, quality control um, I oversee the contract with our outside vendor and I regularly check to see the time that it took for interpreters to come on to the video. Um, and I ask staff the quality of those interpreters. Um, so it's it, you have to constantly be ensuring that the quality of that service is there. Um, they're all qualified interpreters and we know that. That doesn't mean that they all may perform at the level that we want to ensure for our patients. We know language barriers directly related to miscommunication. What can be done to mitigate these risks at the institutional levels? Well, as I mentioned earlier, and, and as Maureen has mentioned, it's, it's not just the language itself is how do you communicate with patients regardless of the language? So that's the first thing is to, uh, and it's been instilled in our staff and Maureen can talk about Plane Tree, that across the board, we wanna make sure that we properly communicate with respect for our patients and each other. Um, beyond that, to make sure that we meet the requirements, as I mentioned earlier, it's, it's, a, it's a statement from the top, from the CEO of the hospital. He's on record with staff on a regular basis that this is one of the things that we do in order to help our patients to ensure good health outcomes. So it's a, and it's a constant message because one of the things that I had not worked in a hospital before, one of the things that, you know, started to become a challenge for me is that there's transition, especially you have residents that come in, come out. Um, you have some specialties that there's more turnover. And it's ensuring that all that staff that I don't may not have notice of um, to make sure you have a network of communication within the organization to make sure that everyone that's new received the, the same message. And they do get it at orientation because all of us go through mandatory orientation. At the orientation, there is a section on language access. So when you walk through the door the first time, you learn about this requirement and how it needs to be fulfilled. But sometimes the newer staff, we may not catch them. Um, so we're constantly talking to leaders of department um, to make sure they know that we're ready to help them. Luckily, our equipment is very easy. It's an iPad. Um, so that makes it, and we change to the iPad 
because that gives you the ability to see each other. And it made a big difference. We were fortunate during COVID that the, the contractor had already started his work, their work. And as a result, we're able to use that equipment during COVID when, we, when it was very difficult for, for any of the staff to communicate with the patients. They then had a tool um, that they could use that would not endanger the patient or the staff member. And you know, I would also like to add to um, an agreement with what Nympha says, but I think also making sure that the language needs are identified as soon as the patient is admitted. Um, patients are asked questions um, on admission, and that's when they need to make sure that their preferred language is known so that um, the hospital then can serve their needs as well. Um, also, before procedures, um, you know, patients should have fully informed consent, no risks, benefits. Um, information should be given in very clear, understandable languages. You know, it's okay for patients to even ask their healthcare providers to draw pictures if it helps. But, um, you know, sometimes, um, sometimes the medical community may speak in a little bit of medical terminology. And really, the patient needs uh, to have very basic, clear information that they understand. And it's perfectly okay for the patient to ask um, and make sure that they're getting this information in very easy-to-understand um, language, both, you know, in their preferred language and even if they, they are English-speaking as their primary language as well. It, it's important to get the proper information. And with the deaf and hearing-impaired community, that's a particular challenge to know, do they know American Sign Language, um, how proficient are they in it. Um, so it, it, if they're not coming with, with a family member or a friend that can help explain that, uh, becomes a challenge. Uh, and, but our staff are sensitive to that and know the resources that are available in case they need an in-person uh, interpreter. Or, and as I mentioned earlier, someone that reads lips because that's, that's the level of proficiency that the patient may have. I'd like to shift the discussion now to talking about some of the advantages of having a multilingual medical environment for patients, for staff. It's a teaching hospital, and I can only imagine what a rich experience it would have to be for a trainee, a resident, a fellow to be able to you know, train in this environment and how beneficial that could be for the rest of their career. So what are some uh, of the advantages that this unique medical environment produces? Well, I think it's what New York City produces. It's uh, where the where the capital of the world. Um, and the Bronx is a very diverse community. Um, and uh, um, Someone coming through our doors and being with us even a, even a short time, a few years, learns about the the richness of our of our city, reflecting our community. And it's not just our patients, but our staff. Um, a few years ago, this the prior chief diversity officer put up a map in the in a public area, a common area within the institution, and people put pins on their, the country they come from. Every part of the world was reflected in that. And we still, we, we kept the map because it, it's, it's a real, um, real symbol of who we are. So we're multicultural, multilingual, not just patients, but the staff also. And that's a richness. That's, those are experiences. That's 
a knowledge base that you can't teach. Um, people are bringing with them their life experiences. They also did another day where everyone wore the costumes of their country and food. Um, and so that they could see the ref- in real life, tangible, um, what the staff in, in the hospital reflect. So it is, it is by far more benefits than challenges because it really, um, People stay at St. at our hospital as staff for years. I'm a baby. I've only had three and a half years, but I my colleagues have 20 years here, 30 years. They started as residents, stayed. They started as a volunteer, moved up into a staff position. So it's really it's I would call it the New York City experience. It's what New York City is best reflected. Um, in the diversity we have in the richment, richness and our appreciation of that. And certainly um, in that kind of environment that we have, we have fewer, fewer communication errors. It's improvement on patient satisfaction is much greater. Um, there's a cultural liaison to ensure clarity for all the healthcare providers. Um, also, it's a link between patients and the healthcare system. And it even clarifies meaning beyond language because, like Nympha said, there's a richness there and just in understanding that, that things, you know, as far as culture goes beyond just the spoken word. Um, we also have a program here for pre-med students um, that actually round on patients. It's a volunteer program. Um, but really what they're... Um, what they're doing is making sure that the patient is getting clear, good communication. Um, so it helps them both when they go into their medical career, um, but as well as helps the patients. Do we you know we're really trying to make sure that we're providing patients the very best of communication? Um, you know, even beyond the services that we're providing. And we discussed it earlier in the conversation. We were talking about the use of translators and the contract employees and contract services that you use to help bridge these communication gaps. Um, Is there anything else we want to touch on with that before I move on or how that worked? Well, uh, I think a good example is a transition we did. Um, Prior to having our current contractor, we had a system that was phones and we knew that there were some weaknesses with that. So um, we had on, on staff someone who actually trained some of our staff as medical interpreters. She would put them through, she had a license to put them through a program, and they would end up with an with a actual certification because we were concerned that the phone is not the best way to communicate. It was, was available at that time, so the human, the human voice was added onto it. But since uh, 2020, when we uh, took on the video on demand, it's been a radical change. The first thing I've noticed is there's an increase in demand. Uh, It may have been that I don't think it's that the staff suddenly realized it was a mandate. It's that they they were using other backup mechanisms to to meet the need. And now everyone knows this is available and it's so easy to use um, that they have it. And then we do still have an in-person interpreter when needed, if it's a sensitive message, if, if, the, if the patient themselves asks for it. So it, um, it really has helped a lot to move into this, the use of this new equipment. Uh, it, it really has made a big difference. 
As we move towards wrapping up, I do want to ask about COVID restrictions and how it impacted the ability to meet these language and communication needs. Well, as I said, our contractor had just started when COVID suddenly came upon us. They had only been in place for about a month um, and we had rolled it out with the in-service training. It was a blessing because again, you didn't need an individual. You had a piece of equipment that was, it's on a, it's on a tray, so it moves around. Um, we, had, we had trained everyone already on them and it was a human face. Uh, so it, it, it really, it, it was there just in time for, for the epidemic. And we, even on top of that, I have to give um, real uh, a shout out to interpreters who even with the COVID, we did have situations where we needed a sign language interpreter in person and they came in the midst of all of that, they still were willing to do those in-person uh, interpretations. So we were, we were because of the new contractor and the willingness of, they saw themselves as part of the community to help our patients. Um, it, was not a, it was not a disability for us. We were able to meet all those needs. And I just wanted to add, even beyond the interpretation, it helped patients and families connect because when there was visitor restrictions, we were able to use the iPads um, to do video conferencing so the patients could speak and see their family members and vice versa, as well as family members could be part of meetings and speak and see um, the healthcare uh, providers um, as appropriate and be involved in medical decisions. So on many levels, um, the technology really did impact very positively on patient experience. You've been listening to Maureen Eisner, who just spoke, and Nympha Sagara. They're with SBH Health System. And I want to work towards wrapping up by just asking both of you any final thoughts, anything else valuable that you think our listeners would appreciate hearing before we close it out here today. The importance of leadership from the top. Uh, it's a matter of fact, this morning we had a senior leadership meeting with our CEO and it's, uh, it's him and our board of trustees uh, ensuring that we provide the best care, the best service to our patients because they deserve it. But the message comes from the top and that's very important uh, in any institution that the rank and file understand that they're meeting a requirement uh, of the institution that has been expressed clearly by leadership. And I just wanted to add from the patient rights perspective that having an interpreter provided is your right as a patient and there should never be a charge uh, for these services. Um, and most hospitals do have language assistant coordinators and patient representatives or patient advocates that really are there to help protect your rights as a patient. Um, so just to know these rights and really understand them as well is very helpful for patients and families. What a great discussion we've had today on Healthcare Experience Matters. You've been listening to Maureen Eisner. She's the Vice President of Patient Experience and Bioethics. And also Nympha Sagara has joined us, the Senior Vice President, Communications and External Affairs, Community and Government Affairs, and Chief Diversity Officer with SBH Health System, 
a major safety net hospital in the Bronx. Thank you again so much for your time and for all this great information. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Healthcare Experience Matters. Healthcare Experience Matters is brought to you by the Healthcare Experience Foundation. To learn more, please visit healthcareexperience.org. That's healthcareexperience.org.